Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined on the show today by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about homegrown players. Research in Europe shows that in Europe, over the past 10 years, there's a decreasing presence of club-trained players and a stronger presence of foreign players at clubs. This can be the case with top sides in Africa too, that they sign the best players rather than developing talent through their youth structures. We look at the reasons for this. Also, we speak to Nigeria midfielder Ogeni Onazi, looking back at the 2018 World Cup, uh, what his dreams are, and also his popularity at his Turkish side. They just want to hear everything about me, anything I do. They are just keen to hear anything about me, and uh, this is a very great support for me, and it keeps me pushing very hard every day. That's coming up later, and uh, Stuart takes a look at how many Africans are playing across the leagues of Europe in part two of his series, and he focuses on countries such as Belgium, a popular destination for African talent. Well, first of all, a happy new year to you, our first programme of 2019, and wishing you all the best for this brand new year. Uh, The big footballing highlight is, of course, the Africa Cup of Nations, as far as African football goes, uh, being held in June and July. The host nation, either South Africa or Egypt, will find out who the hosting rights will be given to in the next few days, uh, this after Cameroon had the hosting rights taken away from them. Uh, The final qualifying games for the Nations Cup will be played in March. Also, the Confederation of African Football is switching to the European calendar starting in August and ending in May. That means we have two editions of the CAF Champions League being played over the course of the year. Uh, So the compressed 2018-2019 edition is underway already, uh, going through until May. And then the 2019-2020 edition will kick off in August. So the group stage for the 2018-2019 edition gets underway next weekend. That's the 11th to the 13th of January. And uh, all some very, very tough groups in the draw. Uh, Here in Zimbabwe, FC Platinum debutants in the group stage are in Group B, along with defending champions Esperance of Tunisia, South Africa's Orlando Pirates and Horoya of Guinea. Uh, Pirates won it in 1995 and Horoya got to the quarterfinals last time. Group A has 2017 champions Widad Casablanca of Morocco, 2016 champions Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa, Asek Mimosas of Ivory Coast and Lobby Stars of Nigeria. Uh, Group C has five-time winners TP Mazembe of DR Congo, Ismaili of Egypt, Constantine of Algeria and Club Africain of Tunisia, who have a lot of experience at this level. And in Group D, eight-time champions Al-Athli of Egypt are up against AS Vita of DR Congo, Simba of Tanzania, who are there just for the second time in the group stage, and a little-known Algerian club, JS Suara, who were there in the group stage for the first time. So 11th to 13th of January, those opening group games will be played in the 2018-2019 CAF Champions League. 
Well, now to the issue of homegrown players. A research organisation, the CIES Football Observatory, has found that there is a decreasing presence of club-trained players and a stronger presence of expatriate footballers and a greater movement of players in Europe. Uh, the percentage of club-trained players in the 31 European divisions surveyed reached a new record low in October of 2019. Uh, just 17% of players are club-trained, a decline of more than 6 percent over 10 years. Uh, the proportion of foreign players has increased to a record level of 41.5 percent, going up almost 7 percent over the last 10 years. So the authors of the research say that more and more teams are geared towards short-term success. This means that a smaller number of teams can actually really compete. It's only the wealthiest and better structured clubs who can dominate proceedings, says the research. So there are fewer homegrown players in Europe, and if you look at some of Africa's top clubs, you might see the same trend too. This can be the case with top clubs across Africa, that they sign the best players in the country or make foreign signings rather than developing the players from their youth structures. Uh, TP Mazembe of DR Congo is the best example of a team that's full of stars from all across Africa. The top clubs in South Africa have plenty of foreign players, and Zambia's top clubs with money are also building squads with many foreign players. Here in Zimbabwe, clubs can't afford top foreign players, so you won't find many foreigners here, but uh, some of the top clubs prefer to sign players from other clubs on short-term contracts rather than take the time to develop youth. Well, let's look at this research in Europe, and Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Um, how have things changed, Stuart? Well, when Glasgow Celtic won the European Cup, uh, what we now call the Champions League, in 1967, all 11 players in the starting lineup were not only Scottish, but had been born within an hour's travel of the Parkhead Stadium. Or we can think of the Manchester United team that won the Youth Cup in 1992 with players like Beckham, Giggs, Scholes, Butt and the Neville brothers going on to win the Champions League together seven years later. But how things have changed. Now, I did an analysis of 220 players who started for English Premier League clubs over the weekend of 24-26 November. And that revealed a completely different picture. There were players from 47 different nations. Incidentally, for the sake of my study, uh, I'm taking nationalities as the country for which a player plays, not necessarily the country of their birth. Now, there were 55 from England, 15 from France, 14 from Spain, 11 from Brazil and Portugal, 10 each from Germany and Ireland. There were 16 Africans, four each from Côte d'Ivoire and Senegal, three from Gabon, one from Benin, one from DR Congo, one from Egypt, one from Equatorial Guinea and one from Nigeria. And in fact, Chelsea and Newcastle took the field without a single English player in their starting 11. Arsenal had just one English player and there were four other clubs with just two. Part of the reason why there are so few English players is perhaps a reflection of the managers, with only four of the 20 clubs having an English manager. And even if you count British and Irish, there are only six of them. We have Spanish, German, Portuguese, Italian and French managers in the Premier League. And in the weekend of our survey, Wolves, African-born but Portuguese nationality manager Nuno, picked seven Portuguese players in his starting 11. 
West Ham fielded a team of players from 11 different countries. Fulham had nine. Liverpool had eight and several teams had seven nationalities in the starting 11. Cardiff City, of course, located in Wales, did not have a Welsh player in sight. So the Premier League really is the most cosmopolitan league in the world. But going back to the sort of question you started with, Steve, there were 55 English players, but only 11 of those were academy players who developed into the first team at one club. And those players, incidentally, were Tom Smith of Huddersfield, Joe Rawls, Cardiff City, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Liverpool, Jesse Lingard, Manchester United, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Crystal Palace, Harry Kane, Tottenham, Matt Target, Southampton, Ryan Sessignon, Fulham, Grady Dagana, West Ham, Ben Chilwell, Leicester, and Lewis Dunk at Brighton. The other 44 had joined from a different club. Uh, So then what are the regulations for this, Stuart? Currently, Premier League clubs are allowed a maximum of 25 players, aged 25 and over, in their squad, of whom eight must be homegrown. And homegrown means that the player has been registered with an English club for at least three years before they turn 21. Now, after what we call Brexit, uh, Britain leaving the European Union, it's expected that Premier League clubs will no longer be allowed to sign a player from the EU under the age of 18. And that is something which should dramatically reduce the number of foreign-born players who can be registered as homegrown. The FA is also proposing an increase to the number of homegrown players in each club squad from 8 to 12 after Brexit. But so far, Premier League clubs appear to be against this proposal, wishing to keep the number at 8. Currently, there is freedom of movement within the European Union, meaning that any player with a European passport does not need a work permit to play in England, whereas a player from any other part of the world, including Africa, requires a work permit. But that means that after Brexit, after we leave the European Union, African players will no longer be at a disadvantage compared to European players in seeking to play in England. But, uh, Stuart, these foreign players are what makes the English Premier League the best in the world. So won't this reduce the quality? Well, it won't stop Premier League clubs from signing the world's best players, but it will stop clubs having 15 to 20 overseas players in their squad. You know, I talked previously about two Manchester City players who were in the England Under-17 team, which won the Under-17 World Cup, Phil Foden and Jadon Sanchez. Sanchez left City to play in Germany, where he's playing every week, and he's won two England caps. Foden stayed at Manchester City, and even though Manchester City had Kevin De Bruyne and other midfield players injured, Foden got just two minutes of playing time in the Champions League game. What the FA is saying is that we want young players, like Sanchez and Foden, to get a chance to play and develop in England. And I mean, think about Ross Barkley and Jesse Lingard playing for England in midfield, but battling for game time with six or seven players in their position, you know, at Chelsea and Manchester United. That's what they want to stop. 
Thanks, Stuart. So certainly that is a cause for concern. And uh, there are parallels here in Africa too. Uh, so this week on WhatsApp and on Facebook, we're asking uh, how important do you think it is for clubs to train their own players? Uh, this comes from research from an organisation, the CIES Football Observatory, showing that in Europe over the past 10 years, there's been a decreasing presence of club trained players and a stronger presence of foreign players at clubs. Uh, so in other words, clubs that can afford it are buying top foreign players and leaving less room for homegrown players. Uh, this can be the case with top clubs in Africa too, that they sign the best players either from inside the country or from outside rather than developing the players from their own youth structures. So what do you think? How important is it for clubs to train their own players? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. How important is it for clubs to train their own players? Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen on our new look website, planetsport.tv. And our other shows are there too. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast. Plus interviews with various sports stars that you can read, including Ghana's Christian Achu and Cameroon's Collins Fai. Uh, plus in the About Us section, there are pictures and profiles of all of the Planet Sport Football Africa team. And that's on our new look website, planetsport.tv. We're now to our interview with Nigeria midfielder Ogeni Onazi, who speaks on his dreams, his goals and his faith. Onazi won the 2013 Africa Cup of Nations with Nigeria when he was only 20 years old and was already a regular with Lazio of Italy. He's now playing in Turkey with Trabzonspor, who he joined in 2016. And it's been a good season so far for Anazi. He's been a regular starter, although unfortunately he's now likely to miss the rest of the season after suffering an injury to his Achilles tendon on the 24th of last month. Anazi has featured in 16 games this season for the club, scoring twice and helping them to second spot on the table. Well, this interview recorded before that injury, Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji met up with Anazi and first talked about the 2018 FIFA World Cup when Nigeria went out at the group stage. Of course, uh, these, these are one of the most important moments I have in the Super Eagles and uh, I will not want to forget about it so soon, but I'm still eager to make another history. As a player, you had high hopes. You wanted to play so much at the World Cup. Your second World Cup as a young player, the first one ended for you in injury. The second one, you were very hopeful. But it didn't go the way you planned. Yeah, it's a really big setback for me. But, you know, this is life. You know, when you, you fall, you need to stand again and stand really strong. And that is exactly what I'm doing. And um, I prepared well for this season or the preseason. And uh, I'm doing really, really good. And I'm happy for my performance. And uh, I want to keep up the good work. And uh, I'm hoping and then seeing that uh, the future is really bright for me. After a rough time with Trabzonspor, unpaid salary, blah, 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 and all of those things that happened between, everything seems to be going well with you at the club now. Yeah, of course. Uh, everything is going well. Uh, uh, with the club, uh, we are doing really well. I don't want to talk about the financial aspect, of course, but uh, 
the most important thing is my team is doing really well and uh, we are really optimistic. This season is going to be a great season for us. We have really high hopes and finishing in the top four of the league and uh, we are on the track and uh, everything is going well. You've just welcomed another Nigerian to your team, Anthony Wakame. I mean, now there's African Union. <laughs> my man, Tony. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He's a great guy. And um, <clears throat> before he came to the club, and the president called me and asked me, uh, if you say yes, we are going to get this player. I said, of course, he's going to help the team. So he said yes for me. And so they got him and he came and everything is going well. And I think it's a really good addition for our team. And uh, he's having a nice time. He's having a nice time and you are also getting great support from the fans of Trabzonspor. I mean, you look at the, um, the, the way the fans always, always imagine anytime your name is mentioned on social media, they're all there. I mean, this is different from life that you've experienced playing in Nigeria. Of course, <laughs> my, my, my fans, I call them my brothers in Trabzon, they are really, they just want to hear everything about me, anything I do, they are just keen to hear anything about me and uh, this is a very great support for me and it keeps me pushing very hard every day when I play uh, with the Jesse in Trabzon Sport and uh, I want to always give my best and I really appreciate them for this and um, of course we are going to do everything possible to make them happy. To look at your career as a young player, it's been like an amazing rise for your career. For a young player in Nigeria, it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, of course, you know, it takes a lot of uh, determination and it takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of uh, hard work for you to be able to be in that level. Of course, I've had some ups and downs, but not to the level that it brought me so down. But uh, of course, you know, it is something that happens in life. You need to really keep up the level of in life. And so that is what I'm trying to do. When you look at your career now, as a young player, you went to Lazio. I mean, you live in Rome. Now, things have changed. You're a father, husband, and um, from a boy, you're not a man. <laughs> of course, this is a, a process everyone has to pass to, through if you really want to, because it's an option. And uh, so I chose this option because it's good for me, and um, I'm really enjoying my life because it's more relaxed and, you know, focused. And, of course, no one will forget the fact that... Um, a piano player you are, <laughs> a church boy you are. Everything about you has always been about Christ and God and how, how you just dedicate your life to God. Yeah, of course, for me, this is another uh, choice for me to line of a choice that I want to leave. And uh, I've always been a church boy and um, always been in the setting of uh, praising God and instrumentalists, you know, stuff like that. These are things that makes me happy the most because I love music so much. And um, this is another part where you can find me so happy when I'm around instrumentalists playing music. And so for me, it is another way for me to say thank you to God for the blessings he has done for me. When we speak to some of your teammates like John Ogu, like um, Ihenacho, they always say Onazi, he has the funky gospel songs. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, we do everything together. Ianato is a crazy man too. You know, he does all this, is uh, Ibo Ibo something. And you know, it's really, really amazing. You know, when you be around among these guys, John Ogu, all of them, you know, when you're around these guys, you never be sad. And we've seen different ways that you, you decide to worship God nowadays. Um, you, you have some gospel songs and some of the things you play when you're driving in your car. We've seen some of the videos you've posted. What gospel songs do you listen to now? I listen to any good gospel song, anywhere, what I worship, uh, praises, or as far as it's good, Ghanaian, South Africa, Malawi, any part of the world. But as far as it's something that makes me to relate in spirit with God, I'm, I'm good to go with it.
So thoughts there on worshipping God with different types of music. That's Nigeria midfielder Ogeni Onazi speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Akaleji. As I mentioned, that was recorded before Onazi's recent injury that may well rule him out for the rest of the season, but hopefully he'll be fit for the Nations Cup in June. And next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, our focus stays on Africans in Europe. Uh, Last week, Stuart began a series taking a look at the African presence in the top leagues around the world. Uh, Last week, uh, he talked about England and France. Today, the rest of Europe, beginning with Africans in Belgium. Of the 700 or so African footballers in Europe, there are 91 in Belgium. Quite a large number for a small country. Of the 16 Belgian clubs, all but one have an African player. There are 14 from Senegal, 12 from Ghana. Antwerp has 11 different African players, including three from Mali and three from Senegal. Upen has 12 Africans, four from Senegal, two from Mali. Now, if you're not familiar with it, Belgium is a small country in northern Europe between France and Netherlands with Germany to the south. It's not one of the stronger leagues in Europe, but it's quite a rich country, so therefore a good place for players to earn a living. There are 72 African players in Turkey, and again, all but one of the top division clubs have an African player. And Ankara have most with six. Of course, there is history with Turkey. Didier Drogba spent a season in Turkey between his two periods at Chelsea. While not many of the Africans in Belgium are particularly well-known on the world scale, in Turkey there are a number of very well-known African players. Let's start with Emmanuel Adebayor from Togo, who is in his third season with Istanbul. Asimo Can, a 2010 Ghanaian World Cup hero, now 32, is playing for Kizerspor. Papa Sisi from Senegal, who was at Newcastle United for a while, is at Alanaspor. And Aruna Kuni, an Ivorian World Cup player at Sivaspor. Fenerbahce have two Premier League players on loan. One is the Ghanaian Andre Ayew from Swansea, and the Algerian Islam Slamani, who was at Leicester City but never quite made a big impact at Leicester, but both of them trying to recreate their careers in Turkey. And then Diafra Sako, the Senegalese and former West Ham player, is at Buraspor. And there's Armand Traore, who played for 10 years in England, who's at Rizespor. In Spain, there are 27 Africans, and several of them have really quite interesting stories. At one end of the spectrum, there's Wakazo Maborak, who has played in Spain for 10 years. But on the other hand, there's Seyo Dubia from Cote d'Ivoire, who's in his first season with Hirona. But that's actually his 10th different club, having previously played in Japan, Italy, Switzerland, Russia, England and Portugal. He's certainly seen a bit of the world in his football career. Then there are two former Chelsea players, Kenneth Omurua, who played for Nigeria in the 2018 World Cup. He was a Chelsea player for seven years without ever actually playing for Chelsea, but went on loan to an English club, to the Netherlands, to Turkey, before finishing up in Spain with Leganes, where incidentally he's a teammate of Cameroon's Alan Romeo Neom, on loan from West Brom. Then there's Gail Kekuta from DR Congo, 
He was at Chelsea seven years, managed to play only six games, but was again loaned out to France, Italy, Netherlands. And after a season in China, he's now at Rayo Vallecano, where he has a teammate, Alhasni Bangura from Guinea, who's had a rather easier career because he came to Vallecano 10 seasons ago and stayed there and has played 140 games for them. In Portugal, there are 59 African players, as you might expect, that are biased towards the Portuguese-speaking countries, with eight from Guinea-Bissau, five from Cape Verde, three from Mozambique, and three from Angola. And don't forget that Portugal's greatest ever player, Eusebio, was in fact born in Mozambique. Incidentally, talking about Cape Verde, a country of less than half a million people, but remarkably with 17 professional players in Europe. I think that's quite an amazing statistic. But going back to Portugal, of the 18 clubs in the top division, 17 have at least one African player. Porto, one of the top clubs in Portugal, and in fact still in the Champions League, have six Africans, including Chancel Mbemba from DR Congo, well known to the supporters of Newcastle United. And another player in Portugal who was well-known in England is Adel Tarabat from Morocco. He became a bit of a cult figure, playing 150 games for QPR. Good to see that he's still playing. Well, fascinating stuff. And uh, next week, Stuart looks at Africans playing in Germany and the rest of Europe, uh, plus the USA and China. Well, finally, to a hilarious book written by former England, Liverpool and Tottenham striker Peter Crouch, currently playing for Stoke. He takes a humorous look at the life of highly paid footballers. Uh, Tell us more, Stuart. Crouch's declared aim is to take the reader inside the crazy world of ridiculous houses, silly cars and bizarre tattoos, which seem to be essential parts of the life of the modern Premier League footballer. He says it is a world where crimes against fashion, taste and behavioural norms are accepted, if not encouraged. Peter Crouch is two metres tall and he got so fed up with strangers coming up to him in the street, stopping him and telling him he was very tall, that he had a business card printed. And when someone walked up to him, he would simply give them the card. And on the card it says, yes, I am tall. Well, actually, I'm two metres tall. No, the weather isn't different up here. No, I don't play basketball. I'm so glad we had this conversation. One of the best chapters in the book is on cars, where Crouch explains how the car is the footballer's first status symbol. And in this, he pokes fun not only at players he knows, but also at himself. He describes the situation when he was 24, had just got a good contract with Liverpool and celebrated by buying himself an Aston Martin. As he is waiting at traffic lights, he says, a little voice deep inside me was saying to me, an Aston Martin isn't really you. But a louder voice was saying, Peter, you're an international footballer. You play for Liverpool. The normal rules don't apply to you. The big voice said, Peter, you've never looked cooler. The little voice said, Peter, you're a monstrous idiot. And so he said, I'm cruising along, trying to convince myself I look like Steve McQueen or Daniel Craig, ignoring the old Peter telling me I'd become everything I detest and swore I would never. I pull up at traffic lights and there's Roy Keane, the Manchester United captain in his car. Keane takes one look at me and shakes his head. Shortly afterwards, Crouch sells the car. As he puts it, 
if you need to pop out to buy milk, going in an Aston Martin is ridiculous. But he's not the only one to get it wrong. He mentioned a teammate who bought a car which was too big for the garage in his house, so he didn't know where to park it. And another teammate who was transferred from Spain to England and forgot to bring his Porsche with him until he got a phone call from his previous club to remind him about the car. Crouch also explains that the further forward you play, the more flash your car has to be, and that strikers' cars are therefore always more impressive than defenders. When it comes to clothes, Crouch expresses a great conundrum. How can footballers with money, youth and a good body consistently get clothes buying wrong? He recounts his own tale of choosing a sweater in Harrods, one of the most expensive shops in London, taking it to the till and finding that it cost $1,000. But not wanting to lose face, he paid without a blink and then hated the sweater ever since and never wore it. But the problem, he explains, was not his fault. He should never have been allowed to shop in his own without a woman accompanying him. He explains how footballers never need to grow up because the club or agent does everything for them. He calls it an unreal and not quite adult existence. He talks with some amusement about seats on the team coach to matches where your seat depends on your status and that sitting in someone else's seat is a really serious crime, as is sitting too far forward or even too far back. I mean, that really sounds like the school bus, doesn't it? Tattoos is another thing. Most footballers have them. Crouch does not. As he says, it used to be the case that having a tattoo made you a rebel. But he says, now I feel I'm the rebel because I don't have a tattoo. I thought this was a wonderful book. Great to see a footballer with a sense of humour who can laugh at himself and his profession. Well, thanks, Stuart. A humorous insight indeed into the life of well-paid footballers and I'll have to cope with their status. Well, that's it for the show for this week. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.